Jazzy, love you. <laughs> Thank you. Love you, love you, love you. Mwah. Mwah. Thank you. Let's thank the amazing band. Incredible. You can turn to three people, give them a big hug and say, you look even more gorgeous in dim light. <laughs> this is so great to be back here back here. Last time I was here with Phil, Pastor Phil, and we did a, a, you know, like a, whatever that was, up close and personal sort of a thing. Can't remember what we talked about, but um, you asked us the questions. Is that right? It was awesome. Did you enjoy that? I love doing that because questions draw uh, sort of knowledge out of you and experience that you don't kind of think about on an everyday basis. You know, all the things that you've experienced and stuff. So hopefully tonight um, I'll be able to just impart something to you from both my heart and from the Word of God. So, and, and that's what it's all about. Our Christian experience is, is um, encounters with God and then stories that they create in our life. And that's what we pass down. That's hopefully what we are passing down to you as, um, as you know, disciples of Christ. You know, I, Phil and I were talking about this just um, tonight, actually. We both uh, went home and I, you know, cooked him dinner. And do you know what I cooked him tonight? Shepherd's pie. <laughs> and he said, babe, this is shepherd's pie. I said, yeah, because you're a shepherd. <laughs> That's a joke. Actually, it was leftovers. It was like Italian mints. And, um, and, you know, he doesn't like, well, we don't have a lot of potatoes and stuff, but I just, there was just that feeling of like it was cold and I thought if I make creamy mashed potato and put smooth it on top and put some grilled cheese. He honestly, he licked the platter clean. And I did steam greens and everything too, so I'm just sort of giving a little Chris Pringle recipe for winter. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so... Um, right, so what I, what I wanted to, um, to just say in, in, in opening was, as we're singing that last song, um, I love that song, especially that bit, Here I Am Upon Your Altar. Um, and let me just say this, if you continually uh, actually do that, live that, you too will reach to the ripe old age of 60 and still be a follower of Christ and, um, oh, I, I'm going to answer. I, I just remember I've switched from whatever. But Phil and I were talking about, um, you know, how the age that we were when we uh, got saved, we were 18 and 19. And, um, and, of course, in those days, you were all, you know, there was no categories of age or demographic or whatever. We just all were followers of Christ. And um, I, I just want to really affirm you tonight to say that you are not a category of young adults. You're church builders. You're vision builders. You are men and women who, if we were at a world war, you'd be serving in the armed forces. Uh, 
You know what I mean? At whatever it is, 18. In New Zealand, we, we were allowed to drive cars at 15, for goodness sake. On, on you know, <laughs> a danger to humanity. But I think you, it's good to remind you that, that you are more than able to be world changers. You're not, you're not being trained for it. You're ready now. Just get out there and do the work and, and know that, you, that you know, we're backing you 100%. That you are incredibly capable, bright, loving, as Juzzy said, kind, generous, giving human beings. And if ever this earth needed to see that and experience that and be shown that for, for men and women to stop and take an interest in others, that's, that's the Jesus revolution that we're talking about here. It's not your ministry or waiting for God to anoint your gifts or anything like that. It's in you right now. All you need in this life is resident within you, right? Through the person of Jesus Christ, as long as you keep your life on this altar and the power of the Holy Spirit and incredible friendships. When it's just like what that young girl was saying. Was it you? You look different with your hair tied back. You look beautiful. Either way, up or down, beautiful. You know, when you just can't seem to find the way, a friend is there to, to carry you through, to, to guide you through that dark spot. So you, you being here tonight is, is really encouraging that to, to look around and to, and to know that you're not alone. You're not alone when you feel like, you know, you're not getting anywhere or who am I and I don't have a fantastic gift in my life, right? And I don't feel like coming to church. I hope you've got a friend who says, I'm picking you up. Like right from the start, look, everybody goes through that. And I remember uh, when we were pastoring our first church, we were like 23 and 22 or something in Littleton. And um, these two boys, we just moved in to Littleton and we just thought we'd died and gone to heaven because God had spoken to us, you know, after all the hurly-burly of going to Sydney, coming back, right? If you didn't hear that message, we never feel gay, but it's just awesome. Do you remember when it was, Juzzy? It, every now and then he just goes back into the past and, and, and gives incredible, like, encouraging words of his depressed life. <laughs> you know, it's not just the message of faith. It's all the, the road that gets you to dig in and, and, and find that faith that's just going to see you through. So we're out. We're in Littleton, and um, I was, I don't know where Phil was. He was probably witnessing out on the streets, which has sort of gone a bit out of fashion these days, but I want to bring it back. I'm like, I hear the praise and worship tonight all summer, only a few years ago, we used to, you know, go out on a Sunday afternoon. Some of you weren't even born when we did this, but we'd, we'd go and we'd just outreach. And, and, and people would come to Christ and then we'd just put them into cars and vans and whatever, buses, and, and bring them to church. Like we're always praying, Lord, send revival. You're it. You are the one that's got to go out and bring them in. There's nobody else that's going to do it. It's you. Turn to your friend and say, it's up to you and me. Pastor Phil and Chris are getting too old. 
No, we're not. But listen, this is how revival starts, through you. Revival is, is, is not some sort of thing that comes down from heaven. Revival is when you and I are revived. We are the revived ones. We've been on that altar. We haven't just gone, oh, God, I give you my life, and then live our selfish lives. Jesus in us is always looking out for, for others. He, he, he was interrupted all through his life to go and help the ones and the twos. And it wasn't all about, forget about pulpit ministry. This, this is nothing. This isn't the Christian life. This is just me sharing tonight, but it's hardly any thing to do with being a follower of Jesus Christ. So forget about your world-shaking ministry and a prophetic voice to the nations. Just, okay, so here's the thing. Every day pray this prayer. Lord, here I am upon your altar. Show me what to do. Show me who to talk to. And I'm telling you, he'll, he will. If you're listening and not all consumed with how you look and what, you know, shoes you're wearing and what she's wearing and how skinny her legs are and little her bummers. Forget about all that. Think, just ask the Lord, what do you want me to do? And he will guide you. He will guide you. And sometimes he won't even tell you he'll get a friend to come alongside and, say, and help you and say, this is, I, I was praying this morning and, and, you know, not some silly prophetic nonsense, you know, that does happen, you know. If, if, if you've got a friend that's like that, fix them up. Just, you know, there's enough drippy Christians in this world. You, don't be one of them. Stay in good fellowship. And, and when your leader says, hey, you know, you need to fix that up, just go, you're right. We've all had people in our world. I know it's hard to believe, but even I have been told off by my, um, uh, by my peers. You know, that's not working. Don't do that. And I'm like, you know what? You're right. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. <laughs> but that's how we grow. And, and, you know, you shed blood together. You, 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 you shed tears together. You're there. You know, when, when, when there's the, the baby's born, you're there when the, when the nana dies, you know. You're there together. You're there to pray with each other through the difficult times and you're there to, in, the, in the days of great joy and blessing. So anyway, um, we were in Littleton and, um, and I'm, just, I'm just telling you, like, you just ask the Lord uh, what he wants you to do. And sometimes you trip into it. Not everything is like a word from heaven. Don't wait from a word from heaven. Just sometimes you just accidentally trip into something wonderful um, that that you are responsible for creating in somebody else's world. And I was we were having Lucas Giacometti for dinner. He's our pastor in um, Tasmania. Thank you, Hobart, and he was a gorgeous young man, a top sportsman that got saved. In, on the coast of Christchurch in a little beach thing, town called, suburb called Sumner. And he had long blonde hair, and I think he's, is he Swedish or Dutch or something like that? And he was coming over for dinner, and I was making a pavlova. And, um, and I, I could see down on the road, and there were these two kids skateboarding up and down, you know, maybe 15, 16, and 18 or something like that. And, and they just kept going and looking up because we were the new neighbours, you see. And so I said, hey, boys, 
Uh, come on up and say hi. And, and so they came up, you know, shirts and skateboards. And, and, uh, and I had the things for the pavlova, you know, the little electric beaters. Yeah, I know. That's, that's, I mean, you know, even I, when I, even I lick the things and I'm, you know, should be beyond it, but we never are, are, are we? And so they, they licked the, the, licked the pavlova things. And I said, oh, why don't you come over for supper tonight and, um, and, uh, and meet our friend, Luke, Luke uh, Lucas. And, um, and they got saved that night. It was accidental evangelism is the best kind. Spontaneous. Don't just walk on by. Stop and listen. And it was just a little nudge. Invite them up. It was sort of like a little, you know, like you... A, a kind of a feeling of affection. That's Jesus. It's, it's, that's all it is. There's no word. There's no angels. There's no deep voice that comes from within. It's just a little unction on the inside, a kind of a quickening, a feeling of warmth. That's, that's, that's what this world needs. And so, anyway, that's, that's, that's that story. can't remember what it's related to, but anyway... Um, as we were singing that song, Here I Am Upon Your Altar. And, um, you know, for some of you, uh, some of you do know kind of the seed, the, 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 you know, the bedrock that's, that you are walking upon. But I just want to tell you a little bit about the foundation, like Christian referred to it and... Juzzy is always referring to it and honouring us, which is really sweet and kind and that makes me feel warm inside. It's beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Christian. Yes, I used to have a crush on his grandfather. <laughs> Hang on. Uh, Ken Chant. He used to come over and lecture uh, in Bible school here years ago, years ago. Wonderful, wonderful... Um, charismatic man who had the best message because I love the message of the baptism in the spirit and he just had the bomb message isn't he gorgeous yes he's still alive right Ken 80 tomorrow I'm 60 let's see if Phil dies no there's hope (laughs) so I've had a few crushes in my time. Ken would be one. Another one was Christopher Lambert in Highlander 1. And then it was Daniel Day-Lewis in The Last of the Mohicans. Slow motion in the loincloth. Oh, come on. Don't look at me like that. Even some of you guys thought he was gorgeous. Yes. It's the long flowing hair, you see. It's, uh. Anyway, so the Here's the thing, like, God's smile and love and touch and anointing is upon the prayers and the sacrifice of building his house. I'm getting to it. And long before this even existed, this whole campus, long before plans were made, it was a, a dream in God's heart that got transferred to a young couple 
whose hearts were on the altar. That's all. Not wanting it, not to grab it, but... Oh, is that all right? Was that a precious guitar? Oh, dear. Is it all right? Somebody want to protect it and go and kiss it? Like, yeah, it's yours. Is it all right? He's, he's upset, I can tell. He's, he's a musician. It's, you know... It's not his first love anymore, right? <laughs> oh. Right, so, so let me just say this. Dreams are so clear in your heart and mind, but the outworking of them is often very, very different. Don't wait for the perfection of the dream. Just put your hand to what God has given you to do right here and now. Otherwise, you'll miss, the years will go by and you'll still be looking for that perfect, whatever that image was in your mind for what you thought God wanted you to do and be and, and go to, you know, the place. So... So we, we had a, a, a dream in our heart, and you know we'd laid the dream down for Sydney. We'd laid it. It was gone. It was a seed in the ground that we let go. And, and we thought we'd made a big mistake. This was in 1975. We came over here for the first time, and I was pregnant with Daniel. And, and we could not see what God could see. We just thought we were failures because we had no peace about being here. But God could see into the future, and he, he knew who he wanted us to be connected to in this dream. But we thought, oh, no, it must be them. They've offered us the job, the car, the position. And, and they were not bad people, uh, all of them, not at all. They were a great, fabulous church. But God could see what was going to happen in the future, that somewhere in there there was a black spot. Well, we couldn't see it. Because when you're in, you know, a move of the Spirit, and it was indeed a move of the Spirit in a, in a Pentecostal slash charismatic way. It was awesome. It was, it was wonderful. But God, God's plan and dream that we had seen was not going to be worked out the way that we thought and so that's why if your heart is on the altar, he'll guide you back to that right place. Keep your heart on the altar, right? And then no, whether you're going, you're walking through, um, you know, a valley or you're climbing over the mountains, it will make no difference. You won't get giddy with success and you won't let go of Christ in, in um, failure or perceive failure. So, but the dream had been very clear initially. We, from Littleton, when God spoke to us after we'd laid it all down, we came back, went back to New Zealand, and you've heard the story, Phil, let, uh, he, he laid down ministry. He told our pastor, no, I don't want to be on staff, I've... I'm a total jerk, I'm a failure, I've dragged my wife and a toddler in and now she's had a newborn baby and, you know. But 
I give myself five stars for sticking with that man. <laughs> because, you know, I loved him, but he was confused and, and, and whatever. But I was too busy having babies and feeding, you know, washing nappies and that sort of stuff. So we came back and then Phil was on the posty run. Right, so, okay, just remember that, you know, you might be, it, you know, Jesus was like making chairs and tables in his preparation for ministry. Ne- don't think that where you're at right now, that you're, that there's, that where is, how is God ever going to use me? Oh, he can. He can. Enjoy where you are now. If you're at school, if you're at university, if you're doing a trade, if you feel like I'm just, you know, doing a little bit, I'm just serving. You're not just serving. You're, you're growing and you're learning to love and, and your capacity is, is growing and being enlarged, as, as Phil's been talking about, right? So we, he was on the post, you're running. God spoke to him so clearly. He, in fact, he, was so, he almost fell off the, the bike on the, on the post he run. And it was, would, you know, would he go and start a church in Littleton, right? And so in Littleton, that's where we were hidden, you know, away. And we were going to be there for life, for life. Because when, when you're in the center of God's will, right, you, it's just like, oh, this is forever, this is awesome because we'd let go. So when, when you let go, I was talking to Cam about this, it's when, you, when you're trying so hard that you want this and to be that, that it slips through your fingers. But if you go, whatever, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything, Lord. I'll, I'll be a doorkeeper in, in the house of the Lord. And, you, and it's a true surrender, that's surrender on the altar, then he can, he can he's got a servant who's no longer their own, but given to God. My life is, you've lost your life to find it. I never used to understand what that scripture meant. I thought, oh, it means I'm going to lose my salvation. I'm going to hell. No, when you let go, God can take a hold of us. When you care less what others think, right, and you're following, you're truly following the Lord, then his hand can rest upon you and his anointing can rest upon you because you're not striving. You're not trying to be anybody that you're not. And so there we're in Littleton and then after however long it was, two years or whatever, three years, the Lord spoke to Phil as he was going in to do some missions trip in India and he flew into Sydney and the Lord said to him, now I've given you this city. And he fought it for six weeks in India. But, see, when, when God's hand is, is upon you and he's laid his hand upon you, it, it doesn't matter whether you believe or not, whether you have a bad day you know, or a good day, his hand is upon you and you're going to make it as long as you keep your life on that altar. And so we, we, we went and submitted it went to see our pastor, went to see another minister in the city, Peter Morrow, the late Peter Morrow, and they both said, wait six months. And if that desire is growing and God is confirming his word, through his word, right, then come back and we'll make plans in the next six months. So we, we started to go through into the, the 
Victoria Coffee Lounge. It was the university campus in Christchurch. We'd go through on a Thursday night and um, we had a, a teacher's training college student living with us and she babysat for the kids, two kids, uh, Rebecca and Dan. And there, that's when the dream began to be unpackaged and Phil drew on a serviette this, this campus. Was this clear? And it was a dream, right? So when you dream, you just dream ridiculous. And Phil was an artist. And, and so it was like, oh, imagine having an art school where, where there was decent art and where, where, where it wasn't just these little daggy-looking tracks, you know, that were sort of photocopied that where you handed out. But there was, you know, we really created this new, this new place where creativity could really be um, come from within the house. And that's where the, the, the heart of worship came from. Because we've always believed that, and Phil said it on Sunday, I think it was Sunday, that we always believed that we, that we were a Davidic church for a typologist tonight. That, you know, we were to build, rebuild the tabernacle of David that was filled with worship and worshippers and people consecrated on that altar. So, that, so the sacredness of this place is deep and has, is deep in this soil. We didn't even know this land existed at that time. We just had the dream. And even when we found the land, we were opposed for eight and a half years to get permission to build. In fact, it took so long. We had so much opposition. We, we actually bought the school land to begin with. And that was all happening. Whereas we just have parties on here and uh, rise and build and we planted all the gum trees. And, and we, we said to people, we don't know whether we're ever going to get permission. You don't have to give. You, you, you can stop your giving. And nobody stopped their giving. Because now the vision was in them. There was no begging. There was no, you must, you got to, and you better, and you shoulda, and you better order. No. The, sacred, the sacredness of God's house, his love for God's house, to see it a beautiful place in the earth, is still zings on this land, right? It sings on this land. People come on and they go, ooh, it feels good here. It's so beautiful, you know, and there might be a rubbish bin <laughs> tipped over. But they sense that there, there's something about this place. And so when the scaffolding was up and the building was being built, the main auditorium, Phil came down here one Saturday to pray and it was just the concrete steps were just going up and there were... At that stage, it was like pillars, dividing pillars, like these here, were all through the auditorium. And there was no altar. Oh, well, actually, he was walking, and the, the, there was hardly any altar space. And the Lord said to him, uh, uh, what are you building? And he, he got fear in his heart. And he said, Lord, I'm building your church. And the Lord said, no, you're not. And then he really got diarrhea, you know. <laughs> and the Lord said, uh, no, you're building an altar. You're building an altar. And so when you come to worship and you lay your life upon the altar, that is the place 
of encounter and transformation where you, it's not noisy, it's quiet. It's kind of on the altar area. It's, it's a quiet place. And it's where Jacob had his big... And that's why we love this scripture so much. And if you've got... Uh, this isn't actually in my notes, but I'm just going to s- read a scripture <laughs> at least. Um, okay, Genesis 28. I, I want to just refer to this and then just, um, just add a few more thoughts. Uh, Genesis 28. And I guess, you know, I wanted to just lay the foundation as we come into this incredibly sacred week of vision builders that, that you learn as disciples of Christ, as men and women who are builders of this house, to ask the Lord what you should do. Ask the Lord. That's lordship. What should I do? Like just recently, Phil and I were dealing with a situation of someone who was like resisting counsel, someone we love deeply. But just that person's hit. In, in lordship, you will come to a wall and, and the Lord will have a door for you to go through, right? That's a door of letting go what perhaps you want to do or be or whatever. And often that counsel will come through a leader, you know. Often it will. It's not. The confirmation comes through a leader. And this person just would not go through that door and, and, and they've left the church. Sad. And, and on reflection, I said to Phil, because I'm still cut up about this, it's, it's a very sorrowful thing. It's someone I love dearly. But lordship is the bowing of the knee on the altar. And I said, you know what, babe? Not once did this person say, which was the very, the very thing that the Lord wanted them to do, you know, because it was like, oh, I love and respect you and Pastor Phil and Pastor Chris. That's words, right? That's lovely. That's great. Right. But if then I say to you, don't do that, do this, right? Then that's honour, isn't it? Or respect or whatever you want to say. And I said, not once did this person actually say to you, babe, what would, what would you think I should do in this situation? And that's, that's really lordship because there's no lording over. I mean, you know, I think we're good shepherds. We love you. We love our people. You know, we, we've got no desire to go anywhere else. We love Sydney. We, we want to, you know, I want to be buried on this land. This is it. This is it for us. This is our life call, right, to be here and to guide you to your next, you know, pit stop, to, to get to where you, God wants you to be and to, and to take your place in this house as builders of this house. And in order, you know, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And Jacob had, like, so this revelation, like, of the house of God, of loving God's house, is a revelation. It's something that you ask the Lord to give you, you know? Because people go, well, why should I give? You know, what's in it for me? Nothing. What if there was nothing in it for you? Nothing. 
What if it was just out of love? I expect nothing in return. That's lordship. You know, Lord, I lay down my life for you. Oh, so what's in it for me at the end of my life? Well, what if the Lord said nothing? There's nothing in it for you. Would you still lay down your life for him? Give your life away. Because I don't know who it was. It might have been Paul Mack and just said, you know, everything is his anyway. And if we have that revelation that all of our life and all that we possess is his, then nothing is ours. We're free to give. We're free. Actually, that's freedom. That's freedom in Christ. <laughs> if he says, do it. That's how for five years we gave our wage. Five years. Were we crazy? Yes. But did we suffer? Yes. There were times when it was so tight, but the Lord came through. It was just, it was a test. It's all a test. Pass the test. You know? Anyway, so Jacob had this. Jacob 28, you can read it for yourselves. <laughs> no, it's awesome. Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and went towards Haran. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place and put it at his head. And he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed. And behold, a ladder was set up on earth. And its top reached to heaven. And there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give it to you and your descendants. This land is for you and your descendants. This place, this sanctuary, this sacred spot on earth, you are my descendants and your children and your children's children. I'll be, I'll be buried in the land, but you will see your children's children possess the land and go out from this place and do great things. And you'll see hundreds of thousands of souls come to Christ. Even now, many of you are, are, are incredibly, you've got the anointing for souls. Don't bury it. Bring it out. Let the Holy Spirit breathe upon it. Breathe upon you. To, to be a person given, wholly given to Jesus Christ, not caring what others think. I remember, Phil, you know, we got saved, we had all these amazing hippie friends and everything, and then when the call of God, you know, and seeking God started to happen, there was a division that happened. It was like, who do you think you are? We know who you are. You just feel the arty, farty, you know, person. What's all this? What's a Spiro thing? And, and you have, okay, so just follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. Don't, if you have to let go of some friendships, let them go. Because they're not going to come with you anyway. Follow, be a follow. You know, what's going to happen to this person and that person? And Jesus said, the disciples asked him that, and he said, you, don't you worry about them. You follow me. No matter what you go through, that's the bended knee on the altar. I will follow Jesus. You know, though none go with me, or oh, that's not going to happen because here you are all together. Though none go with me, yet still I'll follow. It's an old song, whatever. But those songs, they're in me. They're in the fabric of who I am. 
And we have, you know, great friends. You know, the Jonathans to a David have left us over the years, sadly, but we, we keep walking. And you have to make that decision, young man, young woman, that you will follow Jesus no matter what and that you will choose to be a builder of his house, a, a, a builder, and cleave with those and disciple those around you. You know, don't just, you know, discard the person that's having trouble. Love them and, you know, go to their flat or their house and drag them out of bed and iron their shirt or chuck them in the shower. I've done that many times. Get up. I don't want to. I don't feel like it. You Get up. I don't have a shirt to wear. This is one of these guys in little children. I don't have a shirt to wear. I'm like, get up. There's a shirt and I'd iron it. And say, come on, come into church. Like, that's love. That's love in action. Do that. Like, you know, you've got a few friends that have dived, taken a dive. Don't give up on them. Yeah. Give it a go. Try and pull them back out of the pit. Like, you know, really be a follower of Christ whose life is laid down. And love and keep on loving and love without expecting anything in return. And you will grow and God's hand will be upon you in a mighty way as you just keep your life upon that altar and be a follower of Christ. Amen? So, as we come, I wanted to share this with you, and I know time is up, it's quarter past. As we come into Vision Builders, I want you to find time and a moment to seek God and ask him what he would have you to do and what your part would be to play. Like, you know that, uh, it's just a, an illustration of, um, from that movie, the, the, the Witness, when in the Amish community, the, the guy, is a, he's a, he's shot and he's taken in by these Amish people, Harrison Ford. And uh, one day, you know, and they get him up early, like they're up before dawn to milk the cows and bake the bread and, you know, the real Proverbs 31 woman. <laughs> and, and they go out and all of them are involved in the building of this barn. Do you remember that bit? I've actually got a film clip of it, but it's a bit like you'll laugh. It's a bit old-fashioned. But it illustrates perfectly that every single person played a part in the building of that barn. The men, you know, did the scaffolding. The women handed up drinks. The children were helping mum in the, you know, like with the trestles, with the food, and there was laughter and fun, and everybody played a part. And in the building of God's house, you know, and this is in Nehemiah as well, and Phil referred to it in one of his messages. I just want to refresh that. That next to, that the builders were next to another family. The sons of were next to the sons of. The father had his sons and, the, and, the, and his daughters also built, uh, you know, took a part in building this wall or this gate or put up that door. And every single one of you are significant in building the house of God. And you don't realise that that tiny seed, right, of sowing. People, because some people go, oh, I've got so, I haven't got much to sow. Just sow it. Right. Might be $5, might be 10 because that $5 is going into sacred soil of the building of God's house. You don't realise it. Some of you haven't caught it yet. But that is sacred seed. And when you give it and you sow it, 
That is that mustard seed that grows into a mighty tree. God sees your heart. He sees that this is whatever that amount is, that God has asked you to give. Then as you sow that seed, his provision flows. It's supernatural. It's not a joke. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a law. It's the law of the seed. And I wouldn't tell you if I didn't know it to be true. And it's not just any old seed. It's sacred seed because it's going in to the most sacred place on earth that God has chosen to inhabit, and that is in Zion, the house of God, that he has desired it for his habitation. And when each of us play our, our part in building and, and, and building it, then some, there's protection over our lives, over our relationships, our bodies, our health. It, it, you're covered by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. So I want to just pray for you before I hand back to Jazzy tonight. So let's stand to our feet. Holy Spirit.